Let's talk about being anchored in hope, shall we? You want to pray with me? Father, we open ourselves to hear your word. I ask God that as we spend this time together, each person would take something unique that's from your heart to their heart. I'm not asking so much that they remember what I say, but I'm asking that as I speak, your voice would whisper to each heart the words of life that they need to hear today. In Jesus' name. Listen to Philippians chapter three. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. (laughs) I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. And I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection that, for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This one thing I do. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Thoughts are the language of the mind just as feelings are the language of the body. And together... These lead to your, let's call it your operating system. Scripture might call it a mind set. So thoughts are the language of the mind, feelings are the language of the body, and taken together they make up our mindset or our operating system. The, you know, the operating system on your computer, it runs specific apps. You have to first load it, then through it, all the other apps function or don't function. So our state of being or our mindset is determined by this combination of thoughts and feelings. But most of us, when we wake up in the morning, we're already running an operating system. We're already running a, a feeling or a mood that has bled over from the, from the previously established series of days that lead up to today. So it's not like we reboot perfectly fresh every morning, but rather we wake up in a feeling, a feeling attached to events. For some reason, feelings seem to be determined by events that are related to memory 
And vivid memories, vivid experiences stick the most. And what are the most kind of vivid things? Extreme emotional experiences like highs and lows. But for many of us, we actually pay closer attention to negative threats and painful experiences than we do to positive experiences. Here's what I'm saying. Most of us wake up in the morning rooted to feelings that are connected to events of the past that are painful without any, without any decisions yet being made. We haven't even made choices yet and we're already in an operating system that is more defined by what's gone wrong in our past than what's right about our present and future. If the feeling lasts a day, it's a mood. If it lasts weeks, it's how I've been doing lately. If it lasts months, it's a season. And if it lasts for years, other people will just say it's our character. Oh, well, he's bitter. You with me so far? We say, well, why is that guy? Well, okay, let's just move on. When we live by feelings, what we're really doing is we're living by a story, a narrative we're telling ourselves about the past and what it means about who we are and where our life is headed in the future. So often, pain then becomes the determining factor in the story we're telling ourselves about our present and future and what it means about who we are. We just kind of, like if we look at a cloud, we say it looks like a, we don't just say it looks like a cloud, do we? Humans are just insatiable pattern finders, meaning finders. Our brains don't turn off. They always look for meaning. They always try to find purpose. Thus most of us, no, I'm not going to do that. Thus many of us, here we go, that's a little better, that's nicer, isn't it? Thus many of us live with an operating system or a mindset that's anchored to the past. Anchored to the past. As a reason, I asked Kate to give me this. Can you mind your way? <laughs> it's an anchor with hope. The sermon is titled Anchored in Hope. So we end up anchored to the pain of the past through a story that tells us who we are and ends up defining our expectations of the future as predominantly negative. Being anchored in the past, which by definition is a disempowering belief, since the past is unchangeable, it's already happened, it can't be changed. Being anchored to the past makes a victim mindset within us, a fatalistic mindset, a passive approach to life. It's very disempowering. We start to take on powerless thinking. In fact, even traditional thought about how do people get the way they are is pretty, pretty uh, powerless thinking. The predominant argument is the argument between uh, nature and nurture. If you can't read my writing, congratulations. Um, the argument between nature and, and, and nurture, well, you didn't do that and you didn't do that. That's disempowering, isn't it? Hi, microphone. But what if we put in some other factors? Maybe you throw in chance just for fun. What if we throw in some other factors? Then suddenly, you and God created... Uh, these, these things now become minimized. You're, you're, it's not as simple as nature and nurture. You're not, you're not cursed to repeat the pain of the past. You're not stuck. Standard wisdom says the best predictor of your future is to just consult your frequent past. 
However it happened most often is likely the most, most, is the most likely future outcome. That's standard wisdom, right? Am I talking too fast? Should I talk faster? Did I even drink my coffee? I'm this way without coffee, as you all know. Standard wisdom says that the best predictor of your future is, the frequent, is your frequent past, but I, I want to just throw out a suggestion here. The best way to predict your future is to create it. The best way to predict your future is to create it. You're not a victim. You're an overcomer. You're not powerless, but you've been given the tools. Jesus has given us these tools. He's given us a fully furnished relationship with Abba. And now now he's he's given us opportunity to, to, to use these tools to arrange our lives in such a way that we are experiencing what he purchased in his cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension and reign. He's furnished us with these tools, but we have to walk through the door. We have to get, open the toolbox. We have to get them out. We have to actually learn how to walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit. He's given us these incredible gifts. Sometimes we, we take things like quiet times and we turn them into like Christian calisthenics to check box off so we know we're a good Christian if we did this thing, when actually that quiet time is meant to be a place in which Holy Spirit comes and gives us a vision of our life in Christ. So that now, instead of my, my, my eyes, like Jen and Brian said last week, instead of my eyes being down on myself and back on the pain of the past, now they're up on the Lord and forward thinking. Now I'm thinking creatively with the Holy Spirit, a hopeful vision of my life lived in Christ. Now I'm moving from this happened and I can't believe it to I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it's not, it's not I hope maybe one day something will change. But it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna arrange my daily routine so that I hijack the fact that I know I have a mind, a spirit, a body, relationships, I have a soul. I'm gonna use all the tools in my tool chest so that I am experiencing vibrant intimacy with God and hope in the Holy Spirit. And it's not even actually as hard as it sounds. It's why I kind of obsess over spiritual disciplines. It's why I kind of obsess over things like your daily routine because how you spend your days is how you will end up having spent your life. So if your average day is not a day spent doing what you were made to do, you need to rethink your daily routine. If your standard is to fill your schedule with stuff you resent having to do, you need to learn boundaries and say no to some things. If your standard behavior is to feel unloved by God and always striving, you need to rearrange your daily routines so that you are intentionally coming into an alignment with the fact that you are loved before you've done a thing. If your standard behavior is to gravitate to people who you feel you owe stuff to, who then have power over you to dictate how you're, go- how you're doing and who you are. See, all, so much stuff is more in our power to transform than we think it is. All right. Dr. Thobaben uh, from seminary said, I'm never allowed to say it's nurture, nature, nurture, chance, choice, and grace without giving him public credit. Just did that. The other day the Lord said to me, my anointing is not for ministry, Tim, it's for relationship. Sometimes if you, um, (laughs) we get into this mindset of working for Jesus. When he wants us to be in a mindset of 
walking with the Lord and enjoying the Lord and then learning how to see and learning how to see him and learning how to see ourselves, learning how to see whoever it is that's in front of me currently. A good prayer to pray is, Lord, show me this person through the heart of your love for them. You know, you're not gonna like everyone, but Jesus does. So the invitation then is, Holy Spirit, show me what you see. You know. The, uh, the thing about, <laughs> oh boy, how vulnerable do I be? Uh, recently I had a friend tell me he kind of lost faith in me because I'm no longer burning with the fires of revival that I once was. And as I thought about that later, I, th- I thought, you know, it's, I see where they're coming from, but it's not that I don't have dreams, it's that I've got smaller dreams. I, I used to dream that I'd walk into the room and then people would just fall out in the Holy Ghost and anyone sick would just get healed. Uh, that'd be fun, wouldn't it? I still say, yes, thank you, God. But my dreams are a little different now. Now my dream is like, what if I could, what if I could genuinely trust the Lord, not worry, not carry the weight that makes me snappy at the people I make contact with? Not the little things that make a big difference to the people around you feeling loved. What if I could invest in a few people who would really, really know love? What if we could learn how to love? There's a song I heard on the radio and I was like, this is awesome. It's called Dream Small by Josh Wilson. I'm not gonna sing it. It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world said he can't afford. Did you take that in, dads? It's a mama singing songs about the Lord. It's a daddy spending family time the world said he can't afford. It's these simple moments that change the world. It's a pastor at a tiny little church. Hi. <laughs> 40 years of loving on the broken and the hurt. It's these simple moments that change the world. Dream small. Don't bother like you've got to do it all. Just let Jesus use you where you are one day at a time. Live well, loving God and others as yourself, finding little ways where only you can help with his great love. A tiny rock can make a giant fall. Dream small. It's visiting the widow down the street or dancing on a Friday with your friend with special needs. These simple moments change the world. Of course, there's nothing wrong with bigger dreams. Just don't miss the minutes on your way to your bigger things because these simple moments change the world. Dream small. Are you with me? So going back to our thoughts and feelings, Jesus said that you'll know how to finish these sentences. He said that, uh, what is it, Matthew 20... It's near the end. He's praying and his disciples are sleeping. He says, watch and pray so you won't fall in the midst of temptation for the spirit is, but the, are you seeing this? Your spirit is willing, your flesh is weak. 
And the goal is not to get rid of your body. Your your flesh is not sinful. I'm sorry, and I knew New International Version, you're garbage, but I love you anyway. Your flesh is not sinful, it's weak. Your body's not evil. It's just desire outside of the leadership of the Holy Spirit becomes harmful. So the goal is not to not have a body one day. The goal is your body lined up saying, yes, sir, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit in you. What's Romans 8 say? That those of us who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit and the law, the principle of the Spirit at work has overcome the principle of sin and death at work in us. So what he's saying is we've got Holy Spirit power so that now our body can be filled with the presence of God and fall into subjection to the Spirit and we can embody the will of God on planet Earth. The goal is not I die, get to heaven, and then we're finally free of sin. The goal is Jesus comes in and we are free of the slavery of sin. Okay, so when Jesus said the Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, he's referring back to this stuff. We're meant to subject our body to our spirit by choice, by choice. This is why one of the most important fruits of the Holy Spirit, the most important effects of God's Spirit's work in us is the idea that we're self-controlled. Self-controlled, the ability to tell yourself no. The ability to tell yourself yes when everything in you wants to quit. The ability to make yourself keep walking when, the, when your body and your emotions are saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. Running has been a wonderful discipline for me, highly educational. When my, I'm, I have like hypoglycemia too, so like if I forget to take my spoonful of peanut butter before I go out the door for my jog and my blood sugar crashes and my muscles are shaking and I don't know if I'll be able to walk home and I make myself keep jogging, it's like I, in those moments I think, off, I think often of this, of telling myself, you don't have my permission to quit body. And I think, oh, if you can do self-control here, you can do self-control over here because it's a muscle that applies to all sorts of areas of your life. One of the things about people who are mature in the Holy Ghost is that they've learned how to keep going after God's will even when their body and their emotions are telling them to quit and when their desires are telling them they need to quit and they need pleasure and they need comfort and they need them right now. People who are mature in the Holy Spirit know how to feel the burn and push through. And you say, yeah, but what about when it takes a decade? And people who know how to push through know how to push through certain other kinds of psychological pain, like when the Lord births a vision in you for a way of life or for some great thing and you say yes, and you go all in, and you arrange your life around it. And then some people who said yes at the beginning realize the cost of seeing this thing take shape is going to take longer, and it's going to cost more than what they thought, that it's not going to be as fun and easy, and then they leave. And they say, I'm not willing to pay that kind of cost. That's a certain kind of special pain you feel in perseverance. That's more than just how hard it is for you by yourself. Paul knows all about this. There's this passage I found in in 2 Timothy 4 that you almost feel like Paul's having a little bit of a pity party. Just he sounds almost slightly bitter, but I'm not going to accuse him of wrong. I'm just going to throw this out there and see what you think about it. Paul says, do your best to come to me quickly for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. 
and gone to Thessalonica, I can just imagine Demas reading this letter and saying, hey, I'm doing ministry in Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Really? Dalmatia? That's a place? I think we all know what kind of dogs are there. Okay, come on guys, focus. Only Luke is with me. Oh, let's just read it again. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. And only Luke is with me. At my first defense, verse 16 of 2 Timothy 4, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength. The cost of following Jesus with integrity is really, really high, and perseverance is essential. So this thing of keeping your eyes on the, on the future, on this hopeful vision of what God's called you to, is absolutely essential. If, if you can renew the thoughts, it will lead to new feelings, because our focus determines our destination. Our focus always determines our destination because our focus determines our operating system and our actions come from our operating system. So our focus is everything. And so Paul says, this one thing I do, he writes it in prison, this one thing I do, he said it to me at IHOP a couple years back when I was in their prayer room and they were going on and on and on and on. They never stop. You know, it's like the longest worship service I've ever been a part of. It's a joke. It's 24-7 worship. They never stop. It was like, dang, I'm hungry. Let's get out of here. Oh, you mean I can leave before you're done? Okay. And I was sitting there journaling and asking the Lord, and like, what do I... I asked that question. I said, just how secure is our hope, Katie? <laughs> I did. I asked that. We'll, we'll get a nail in there. Um... Jesus is much more secure than some scotch tape, guys. So I'm out there, I'm at IHOP, and I'm like asking the Lord, like, show me what my hope is. Like, what am I supposed to be thinking? My heart just feels so, I just, it's not, I didn't feel torn apart. I just felt the weight of, of depression, and the Lord gave me this Philippians passage. And I was like, you're not giving me answers. You're just giving me an assignment. That's weird. I expected answers. Do you know what I mean? You might want to. Hey, Zion and Layla, please stop. Thank you. You might have to, Brian. And he didn't give me, and I'll just edit this all out of the podcast. It's all good in the hood. You know what I'm saying? He didn't give me answers. He gave me an assignment. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, I put my eyes on what's ahead and I press on. And what's the goal? The goal is knowing Jesus. The goal is experiencing Jesus. The goal is living with Jesus. The goal is the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrections. Which means if it goes really bad, that's okay if I, if I get Jesus in the midst of it. Because if I get Jesus in the midst of it, guess what happens next? He raises me from the dead. I don't raise me, he raises me. I just lay hold of him and he renews my strength. I put my hope in the Lord and he renews my strength. I just keep my focus on Jesus and, it, and then I, but I'm, I'm going to have to be patient while the reservoir is refilling. It didn't empty overnight. It doesn't empty the split second you take your eyes off the Lord. It takes a while. It takes a while sometimes for us to even realize we took our eyes off the Lord. 
And when do we realize? Well, we realize when, we, when, we, when the reservoir is empty. So be patient while the reservoir refills. And the way it refills is you keep pressing in. You keep waking up in the morning and making a clean break with this operating system and saying, you know what? Our agreements matter. What we agree with is what we empower. How do you fight the enemy? Man, I'm not against pouring oil on things and blowing shofars. That's fine. Do it. Especially if there's faith in it and the Lord tells you to do it, you go for it. You do it. But you know what our real spiritual warfare is? It's, it's resist the enemy, submit to God. It's humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll exalt you in due time. You can yell at the devil all you want, but if you walk in the flesh, you're actually empowering him with your life while you're saying bad things about him with your mouth. You can skip the spiritual warfare with your mouth and just get onto the real kind if you get your focus off of the big bad devil and onto the gloriously large and way more authoritative Jesus who has all power and authority, which means the devil has none because he's also disarmed at the cross and he's been defeated in the resurrection and so he has no arms and he has no feet, which means if he'd be in your swimming pool, his name would be Bob. (laughs) And the only power he has is the power to use his mouth, to use his words, to taunt you, right? To to deceive you, to to slander you, to discourage you, to tell you this is always going to keep happening. People are always going to reject you. This is happening because this is who you are. You deserve this rejection. You're not worth love. Oh, well, it's going well now, but you just wait. The other shoe will fall soon. You know how it does. All this crazy stuff. But you, like the, I was running, I was jogging yesterday and the, and the Lord, or uh, was it yesterday? Well, it doesn't matter. Sometimes I get lost in those like, footnotes and the details that don't matter. It might have been a Thursday. I think the weather was, who cares? What did Jesus say, Tim? I'm jogging and he said, remember Job. Remember Job. His, the devil believes something about Job. Do you remember what the devil believed about Job, Tim? He said, hey, if you, God, if you let me mess with his health, mess with his kids, mess with his life, mess with his reputation, he'll curse you. He doesn't love you, God. He loves what you do for him. He's selfish. He's self-interested. He's in this for himself. He's not in this for you. He's a fake. He's a phony. And God says, I believe in Job. And Job's obedience in the midst of suffering, Job's obedience, Job's pressing on to what God had said and to what God had called him to, even though everything around him looked like the opposite. I'm a blessed man. What are you talking about? I'm a blessed man. I'm not a blessed man. Look at this. His obedience in the face of what looked like the opposite shut the mouth of the devil. I need to get back further. Shut the mouth of the devil. And this is what I felt while I was jogging. I felt a burst of the Lord's pleasure. What I felt was, Tim, when you obey me and when you keep holding on to my promise, when you keep holding on to what I say and to keep walking in the path I called you to in the midst of hardship when others are not, I felt this burst of pleasure in his heart. He's like, heaven feels like, it's on, it's real. So sometimes the moment that looks to us like our greatest weakness and our greatest failure when we press on is actually our greatest spiritual success from heaven's perspective and it shuts the mouth of the accuser. James Dyson, uh, you guys know Dyson vacuums? My wife buys stuff, and I'm like, why would you do this? She bought a little, um, uh, if you like Parks and Rec, DJ Roomba, you know, where he, he put his iPod on top of his little vacuum robot, put speakers on it, and then it goes around, and wherever DJ Roomba sweeps, it's a party, right? Well, my wife bought one of those little vacuums, and when she brought it home and set it up, she's like, it's my Christmas money. I can do what I want with my Christmas money. And I'm like, that's true, but... It can't suck up like piles of clothes and actual 
children, like, what? <laughs> you're still gonna have, we're gonna have to, we have to like pre-clean for this thing to, whereas with my rake and my broom, and you're like, rake and a broom? What's going on in your house? I got six kids, back off. You don't know me. Um, just kidding, you do know me. So, so we, she comes home with DJ Roomba, and I'm like, really? And then guess what I love? DJ Roomba's the best. That thing is amazing. I can be typing and then just go, I hear him going whack, whack, whack into something. He's stuck. He's, he's, he's a little bit, he's challenged. So I have to go rescue DJ Roomba. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. Oh, you're chock full of, of Nerf darts. <laughs> you're all jammed. Well, one of the other things she bought is this little Dyson vacuum cleaner. Like, apparently everything we love is mopping and vacuuming. She also bought a like, spin mop thing. It's like, and I was like, why this? I, have, I could just throw two washcloths on the ground and walk around like this. Why do I need that? Guess what I love now? I love that thing. Everything she buys, I'm like, that's the stupidest thing ever. Two weeks later, that's amazing, you're a genius. She, she reminded me of that with her most recent uh, purchase. Well, you always say that, and then, yeah, that's a good point. Same with that pot that steams things and makes them quick, and so, so all the meat in the universe is cooked like Mennonites cook meat. Mennonites don't do steak, at least not in Ohio. They need to be retrained. Because if they come from Amish, they're scared of getting sick from red meat, so they don't, and it's too expensive. Well, they got their own cows. Anyway, I'm off topic. Here we go. That was my bad. That wasn't you. That was me. So she, Dyson, she got this vacuum. It's rechargeable. And I thought, rechargeable? We want one that's got an electric motor that's more powerful. Why would you want a stupid rechargeable battery one? It's going to always get jammed. You know what else I love? I use that thing every day. Wow, that was a long way around the barn. James Dyson. In his 40s, he was in debt. He was broke. He didn't have anything. He was a failure. He was an inventor. So he wasted all of his energy on dreams that weren't paying off and they were failing. In his 40s. Right? You would think in your 40s is when you're supposed to be putting your nest eggs away. In your 50s, you're supposed to be coasting a little bit more downhill. And in your 60s, you look back at it all and smile and say, I did that. And then in your 70s, you retire and play some golf. I don't know. I'm not going to. But in his 40s, he's in debt. Well, he's not in debt now. Now he, like his company went from no sales to millions of units sold per year in like two years. Like, boom. Takes over England. Comes to the United States. Takes over. You know, his bladeless fans and his vacuums that don't lose suction because they don't have a bag that gets full So because your air is flowing through the bag and the less surface area for the air to flow through, the filtration stuff, but as the bag gets full, it lo- your vacuum loses suction. That's physics. Duh, right? His don't do that. They don't lose suction. He was asked, is it your intellect, your creativity, your hard work, or luck that has caused you so much success? James Dyson, he says, Is it your intellect? Let's do that. Is it your intellect? Is it your creativity? Is it your luck? Is it hard work? Which one? And he said, well, it's definitely not my intellect. There's lots of people way smarter than me. And I was like, really, though? Because, like, okay. And it's not my creativity, because there's people that work with me are just three times the creative geniuses that I am. And I don't think it's luck, although that might play a small factor. He says, you know what I, what I think it is more than anything? It's hard work. And you know, the only thing I really do differently than other people is because I know that everyone's smart and everyone's creative and everyone's got the same amount of hours in the week and everyone has a fair shot at maybe being there in the one moment when luck strikes, 
What I do is when I feel like quitting and everything's gone wrong and I'm exhausted and I can't put any more time and our stock has dropped and we're stuck up against problems, he said 50% of everything I do fails. So it's at my lowest point when I'm at my worst that I remember, you know what, everyone else faces the same kind of setbacks. It's just that most people, when they get to this point, that's when they quit. And that's the exact moment that it's most important for me to double my efforts, stay up later at night, put in three times the work as the guy next to me because those are the moments when I actually step ahead and place myself in a position to get lucky. I was like, yeah, baby. In other words, he's talking about perseverance. He's talking about not not letting this determine your focus, but determining your focus through a choice Place your focus up and on this hopeful vision. In his case, it's a hopeful vision of, I want to spend my time creating, an op- creating stuff that makes people's lives better and easier. I want to design products that work better so that people can sweep their house better. They can have a fan they can put their arm through. <laughs> I don't, I'd love to blade this fan idea. Anyway, how are we doing on time, by the way? I feel like I could talk till nine p- tonight. Oh, it's sp- I'm supposed to stop. All right. Oh, man. So we're either going to be defined by, in terms of this, a hopeful vision of the future, or the pain of the past. How are you with me? I got one person that said they're with me. Are you with me? Okay, you don't, found, you don't really feel enthusiastic. That's okay. Like one of the reasons it's so stinking important for Jesus when he stresses forgiveness as one of his primary teachings is because he wants us free of the past. It's a huge deal for Jesus. If you take sozo training, forgiveness is like a big deal. Being forgiven, receiving your forgiveness, and extending forgiveness to others. Why? Because the amount of hurt you're carrying with you is the amount that you are anchored to the past, dragged down. How would you... Thank you, Fly. I love you too. How in the world would you be able to make any progress if you're, if you're in a ship and you drop anchor and it's dragging on the rocks or the sand? And when we do not let the Lord heal us, it's a thing that actually, it, it keeps our operating system stuck in the pain of the past. So now a new situation comes up. And again, like last week, Brian and Jen said, you can't help what you see, but you can help how you see it. Let me change that a little bit. We're not responsible for what we see, but we are responsible for what we look for. I mean, if I go out into the woods with somebody who's trained to find mushrooms to sell them to local restaurants, I don't see anything. They're there, I just don't see them. But someone who's had their eyes trained and they know what to look for, they see differently. All right, that's enough on that. Should we do fast forward, like super speed, put, on, put this video on, on double speed? You can't help what you see, but you can help what you look for. How do you learn to see like Jesus? You have to just be with Jesus a lot. Guess what? You always end up seeing like, thinking like, talking with the accent of, and developing some of the patterns of the people you hang out with the most. Hashtag. No, I'm not going to do it. Remember this story where the disciples... People were like, wow. And it says, and they noticed that the disciples were unschooled, ordinary men. And they said, hmm. And they realized, but they've been with Jesus. 
We won't look like Jesus till we learn to see like Jesus. We won't see like Jesus if we don't spend large amounts of time with Jesus. A lot of us have learned how to talk at Jesus but not listen and have a conversation with Jesus. And we can all get better at that. Uh, Layla has a poster on the wall and one night uh, I was sitting there talking to my wife and we were crying and trying to figure some stuff out and all of a sudden I said, wait a minute, is, are these song lyrics? Or is this a poem? Where did this come from? So we, I, we asked Layla the next day, she said, I thought of it and I made the poster. And it said, no matter what they hear or say, just keep going your way. Now that's an interesting expression because it doesn't say no matter what, they, what you hear or say or they say, it's no matter what they hear or say, just keep going your way. You're not off mission. You gotta stick to that original creative vision the Lord called you to. Your last known orders are your standing orders. Why would you let what someone else doesn't see about you define who you are? Why would you, why would you let that move you? We're afraid that if we believe the Lord too strongly, we'll be unhealthy. I'm not kidding about this. Like, I'm dead serious. I've had people tell me straight up, Dan Moeller's not a healthy man. There's no way that that man's living in reality. Interesting. Well, no wonder we're not getting his results. He's just believing Jesus and getting Jesus' results. You can't help what you see, but you can help what you look for. Anias Nin says, people don't see the world as it is, they see the world as they are. Ooh, Wayne Biggs told me the other day, don't take it personally, Tim. And I said, yeah, but what if people say you're stupid, you suck, I hate you, and you're a heretic? That feels a little personal to me. Since it was, had my name in it, and they called me names, and they've been my friend for 10 years. <laughs> and here's what Wayne said. Don't take it personally. They're not telling you about you. They're telling you about themselves. I was like, Wayne, I like you. What's the name of that book again, Wayne? Oh, The Four Agreements. I always ask Wayne, what have you been reading yet lately, buddy? Because he's a deep dude. I'm trying, to, I'm, try, I'm trying to land this plane, by the way, if you're wondering like, when it's happening. We'll either be anchored in a hopeful vision of the future or the pain of the past. And when we begin to, to, to make our agreement explicitly with truth... I mean, Brian and Jen gave us gold last week. They gave us gold. That was good stuff. When we begin to make our agreement with Jesus' hopeful vision of the future instead of the pain of the past, it feels awkward. It feels like riding with your left hand. It feels like driving on the wrong side of the road. It, it feels like water skiing if you've never done that. Like, it feels like anything else that you're learning to do that's a new skill that you've not learned muscle memory yet. You don't know what right's supposed to feel like. Your body hasn't made the adjustment. It feels uncomfortable. And then when there's setbacks and stress, that spools us up. The un for most of us, unfamiliarity creates stress, and stress opens us more than usual to those negative messages that sabotage our mindset. I know I'm not alone with that, so I'm not going to need you to raise your hand, but I'll just raise mine. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel safe. 
but we're flying upside down. This is why Jesus said you gotta be born again. It's like humanity is, is so turned around that you have to go back to the beginning and relearn from God how to be a human. You have to start over with a new true north. All right, go ahead and close your eyes and relax. Don't try to achieve everything all at once today. For now, let's just receive God's love. God has zero need for you to be perfect. That's a Greek concept. He made everything good and incomplete, still needing maturation and development. But he didn't hold back and say, it's not good yet, it's not complete. So let go of perfectionism. Let it, just let it go. God's not even interested. He's just interested in the goodness of what he's made. Father, I ask that you would help us recognize your presence here in the quiet moments. I also ask, God, for new eyes to see you in public, in the loud moments, in the busyness of daily life. Now I would like you to relax your body, relax your muscles, and I would like you to picture Jesus sitting next to you, and I would like the two of you to look at your future together, your life on earth with Jesus. Invite him to just sort of stretch out his hand and show you the hopeful vision of your life lived in Christ. Now, for a moment, hold on to that. As you held on to that vivid image of your hopeful life lived in Christ, did you feel any changes in your body? That's how it's supposed to work. We're supposed to know the truth, and the truth is supposed to make us free. Father, we're not waiting for our circumstances to change before we feel hope. Father, we're getting with you. And we're seeing our life with you. All right, if you guys want to stand, um, if everyone could make their way to the aisles and just get in a straight line, I want to make sure I put a hand on each one of you. I won't take too long, but I'm just going to say a, a quick word of blessing over each one of you. I give you hope. <clears throat> 
In Jesus' name, I give you hope. I give you hope in Jesus' name. Maybe come closer to me. (laughs) In Jesus' name, hope. In Jesus' name, I give you hope more. Father, no longer bound to the pain of the past, but released. Released to a hopeful future lived in Christ. In Jesus' name, more. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I give you hope. Jesus' name, I give you hope. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Learning from Jesus how to see life, how to live well, how to dream small. Father, I thank you. More, God. More. More. I give you hope. I give you hope in Jesus' name. More hope, God. More. More. Thank you. More, God. You guys okay? I've just noticed that as we move to this kind of activity, I just feel the Spirit so heavy when we do these little simple things. I'm sure he likes some preaching, but I've noticed he really likes when we pray for each other. (laughs) Give you hope. In Jesus' name, a hopeful vision of your future, your daily life lived in Christ. More, God. More, Father, more. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, I want to use long sentences and be like, hopeful vision of mamas at home raising their kids in the spirit, the nays in the next generation of warriors, but I'm going to restrain myself. <laughs> more, God. Jesus' name, more. You can always count on Doug to have that flag. More, God. More. More. Spirit, more. I give you hope. And what I'm picturing sometimes as I'm praying these things is I'm actually picturing the Holy Spirit uh, creating new synaptic connections in the brain because as we think the same kind of thoughts over and over day after day, it changes our brain. And hope is like new neural pathways to, in Jesus' name, I give you hope. Because we need a biological, emotional, spiritual, relational, uh, it's a total transformation he's trying to bring us. Give you hope, in Jesus' name. More. In Jesus' name, more. A hopeful vision. Hold on to that. Hold on to those pictures that he gave you during, during that time of prayer. Don't lose sight of them. Maybe even write them down. Maybe even wake up and think about them tomorrow and journal them. And anchor, anchor yourself in hope. Holy Spirit, more. Holy Spirit, more. Give you hope. Give you hope in Jesus' name. Hey, I know you. I give you hope in Jesus' name. More, God. More, God. Hey, buddy. I give you hope. Thank you, Father. I give you hope in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, more. All right, you guys are free to pray for each other. Go get prayer from the prayer team.
Uh, I know that was a little unusual for our normal pattern, but thank you for being flexible. <laughs>